Blog Talk Radio. Championship Wrestling from Florida, and one of the uh, uh, the office men, Duke Kiyomuka, was a uh, uh, minor partner in the office. He actually came. It was in Fort Myers, Florida. It was about 120 miles from Tampa, where the office was, and Duke actually came down to the show with me, sort of as a, uh, I don't know, a, a counselor or, or support. Or, but I was so nervous I was walking, uh, I was pacing in my dressing, my dressing room, and the, the building was a small National Guard armory, and the dressing room was one of these huge rooms that had uh, those sliding, uh, uh, canvas, like plastic uh, fold, folding material that you can, you can open them all the way up, and then you can slide them shut, and they click the two edges click, and you can make two rooms out of one big one. And what they did is uh, the, the, you know, the, the uh, uh, one, one guy, one, the, the heels could go in the, uh, one dressing room door, and uh, the baby face could go in the other. So, uh, but we could pull that, uh, that uh, uh, partition open 
if we wanted to. And so I was in my side, and I was pacing back and forth. And um, on the other side, the guy I was working with that night was a guy named Dick Dunn. And his partner was, uh, he had a regular tag team partner named Don, Don Carson. And Don was a heck of a river. He just loved to, you know, to rib guys. And I had been with them uh, a month or so before I got in the business. And they pulled a rib on me. We, we, they, I rode with them all the way from Tampa to Jacksonville. It's about a three-hour trip each way. And they didn't speak to me once. They talked about me, not about me, but they talked about how amateurs never make it in the wrestling business, and and, and basically that was me. I was an amateur getting ready to break into the business, and I was so furious. I mean, I just I didn't know what to do. I wasn't going to fight them. I mean, I guess I could have. I I don't think they would have done that with Dr. Ted Steve Williams, but with me, I was kind of mild-mannered, so they apparently weren't afraid I was going to ask them to pull over and get out and duke it out, but I was so hot. So this is like a month, maybe a month and a half later, and at the time, I'm not sure they even knew I was, when they were ribbing me on that car ride, I'm not sure if they even knew I was going to get in the business. So anyway, here I am with one of the rivers that stick done, and what Don Carson did was he saw me walking back and forth, pacing, and he, he called Dick Dunn over, and he said, look at him, Dick. He said, look at him, he's so mad. He remembers that car ride. He's so mad, he's going to kill you tonight. Look at him. He can't even sit still. He's walking back and forth. He's so ready to get out there, and he's just, I'm telling you, Dick, he's going to break your arms and your legs. And, you know, being an amateur, you had this reputation anyway. You were a shooter automatically because you knew how to wrestle, you know, amateur style. And so, um you know, uh, Dick didn't know whether to believe him or not. Neither one of them knew me, uh, you know, Lick, because mainly even though I'd been with him for six hours, he never <laughs> said one word like hello or goodbye. <laughs> and so Don, pulled, I kept seeing him come up there, and Don would, would Don would step aside. He'd take his, you, I'd see him look through the, the little gap, and then he'd step aside, and uh, I'd see Dick look, and Don would be talking to him, and he he uh, he had uh, and it made even, it made me even more nervous. So when we went out in the ring, uh, I was so and it had nothing to do with Dick Dunn. I just uh, if it had been an amateur match, I was I was more nervous for my first match as a pro than I was wrestling in the Olympics. Going out against the Russian was about six foot seven and. 320 pounds. I wasn't that nervous going out to Russell M. And uh, so, uh, so anyway, we got out in the ring, and uh, I'm just, I mean, I'm just visibly probably. So uh, when the referee calls us to the center of the ring, to our tights and to, you know, give us the directions, you know, the so called like boxers. Uh, both the referee and Dick Dunn were singing, Row, row, row your boat. Under their breath, row, 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 row your boat. I almost started laughing. I was so nervous. Um, what they were trying to do was trying to, uh, you know, not. I, you know, I don't remember the details of the match, 
but I do remember definitely the start. And I did relax because I thought, well, if these guys would come out here and, uh, you know, they're looking at me and kind of with little smirks on their face and singing, row, row, row your boat without moving their lips. I thought, well, if they could be this relaxed, I maybe I can relax a little too. But, uh, yeah, I was uh, so, I don't know, I said earlier, I said panic might describe it. Uh, do you all think that that might be an apropos word? Oh, yeah, um, I, I'm with you on the panic part because even as a manager, you're, even as a wrestler, referee, we're all trying to remember different cues or spots in the match that we're supposed to be. And then once you go through it, it's just like, wow, do we really have to worry that much? You know. So um, I, you know, you and I also spoke about people we we knew in the business, and I I mentioned uh, Les Thatcher's name. Do you have any funny Les Thatcher stories that you could relay to the audience? one, but before I do, before I go there, you know, for a manager, you had every right to be nervous. I was much more, I was much more at ease in the ring. Uh, I, I managed a few matches. One of them, I managed Andre the Giant, if you can imagine that, and, but it was in the Bahamas, and I went out to stand in his corner. I don't know why. Maybe it was, I'd already wrestled, but... Dangerous because there were no there was no security, and uh, mm-hmm. for ICW, he got into a there's no stop getting whacked. If you're a manager, you, you're watching. I had off to you, B train, that uh, you don't give yourself credits for for what you did. And being a manager, oh, I'm sorry, Bob. You're you're cutting in and out. Hang on a moment. We may be having some technical difficulties today. <laughs> Is that better? Uh, that happens sometimes. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, that's, that's better. better. Uh, I'm on my speakerphone. You know, I've heard that. I heard this kind of noise. I always thought it was somebody else because a lot of the guys talking to me were on their cell phones. They're usually they're driving somewhere and they call me to pass the time or whatever. But uh, it's my phone. I have a cell phone. Um, better, or you still get the, the disconnect? No, we're, it's, it's much better. The, the frequency is much better than it was before. It's, it's kind of cutting in and out. Well, uh, are you back? Yep, that's yep. 
I'm back, sir. I guess the call dropped. I don't know what happened, folks, but hmm. uh, Bob Root will he'll join us shortly hopefully back. We'll, so hopefully we will get him back here in a few minutes. Um, while we're waiting on Mr. Root to call back, I guess I can dial in, folks, but while we're waiting, you know, SmackDown Live short review um, for the time being, fill the time before Mr. Root rejoins us, folks, so stand by. Uh, oh, he's back. Never mind, we'll hold the SmackDown Live review for later. Patching through right now. Hello. Hello, Mr. Roop. How you doing? Can you hear us? Uh, yes, I can yeah. hear you. Okay. Um, so, I guess what I'm going to ask next, next is uh, we have a lot of fun stories in wrestling to tell, like road stories, ribbing, and whatnot. And I got the pleasure of meeting Les Thatcher at one of the Monster Factory camps in Paulsboro, New Jersey. I was curious to know if you had any fun stories to tell about Mr. Thatcher in general. That noise in my phone, too. Um, well... I can try. I have another. I have two of these phones. I can try the other one. Maybe there's. All right, we can hear you on this one. Is it is it having a lot of feedback on the other one? Can you hear? Can you hear us, Bob? Hello. I can barely hear him. I, I can barely hear him either, but... Um, Is this better? Like I said, folks. Yep. We can hear yeah, you now. Yeah, that's better. Can you hear him? Okay. Yeah, right. I can hear uh, him. All right. I, I I don't know. I had the phone sitting on the table in front of me. Now I've got it in my hand. <laughs> i got it right up to my face. Maybe uh, I'll, I'll keep it this way. My apologies. <laughs> I, I guess I was oh, causing no. that. No. Apology needed, sir. No apology needed. Well, uh, I hate to waste your airtime. No, you're fine. Um, Not a a funny story, but a a story about kind of a funny thing. Uh, When Lus was uh, the commentator for... Oh, there it goes again. I, am I back? Is, am I fading out again? No, you're. I can no, hear no, you, you fine. Okay, we good. Can hear you just fine, Mr. Root. Mm-hmm. We were doing a thing. Uh, what I want to say, South Don Fuller's promotion. I don't know if it was called Southeastern. I don't remember, but um, doing a lot of real showbiz type stuff. Had a. I think we lost him again or something. All right. I don't know. I'm going to get, go. get, get my other phone. I'm going to hang up. I'm going to grab my other phone. Well, 
right, that's okay, Mr. Rue. Okay, so folks, while Mr. Rue uh, gets these other phone briefly, briefly, I told you we're going to talk about SmackDown Live Review, Granny. Um, no need the music because I'm pretty sure he's going to call back in shortly. But real quickly, did you happen to catch any of SmackDown Live, Granny, last night? I didn't. Um, David, did, my husband, he watched a little bit of it. He actually got home work from work late last night, so he saw some of it. I didn't get to see it. I was tied up last night, so. Well, now Kofi Kingston Granny has a lot of odds to uh, come across. Now he has to face five other men in order for him to get a chance at the WWE World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania. Vince McMahon came out and said, yeah, and it's sad, kind of, Granny, because you know, he said, well, Kofi, for 11 years, you know, you could have had the opportunity to just start championship material. And um, Big E and Xavier Woods came out pleading their case, saying, hey, you know, every day we went all the way to India for you. Um, <clears throat> we, you know, we sacrificed you and you gave us this crap and we didn't complain now it's time for us to take a stand and and put Kofi in front and uh, Vince McMahon basically clowned the New Day the New Day basically tried to send off five gentlemen which Kofi will be facing in a gauntlet match and if he gets past that opportunity uh, he will now join well he'll be joining Daniel Bryan if he wins um at WrestleMania 35 in New York. But Samoa Joe got pinned by Rey Mysterio in a non-title match. Um, it was a tag team. He was tag team partners with Andrade Cien Almas. Uh, yeah, folks. We'll get to that SmackDown review a little bit later. Joining us back again is NWA's own Bob Roo. Hello. How you doing, sir? I can barely make out. I can barely hear him as well. I mean, I am so sorry. Okay. Uh, no, oh, there, there you are. Go. You're there fine. You are. You're fine. There you go. Well, what's happening though? It's going back and forth. I don't know why. Um, <clears throat> it's my phone the because. Weather. It could be. I mean, I'm here in Michigan. It's uh, it's cold. I don't know. I don't know. A couple times it's happened. Uh, my Florida calls me, and uh, I'll hear that uh, that that wind tunnel sound. Like it sounds like the wind's blowing. I hear it again. Uh, can you all still hear me? Yep, yes, I can hear you. All right. Well, uh, let's just. Forge ahead and see if we can get this. I, I apologize. I, I don't know. Uh, I've had these phones for, this is like a, a landline. I mean, it's not, but it's not a cell phone. Uh, it's uh, set up with the home, home for, just for the home. It doesn't have much range. Um, I've had them for years, but they I've given, I don't know, probably uh, 200 hours of interviews on these phones. And um, I, uh, anyway, uh, Let's let's uh, hope for the best. I again, I, I'm sorry to waste your time. No, you're not wasting our time at all, sir. <laughs> um, 
believe it's back to Les Satcher for a minute. Yes. We uh, he was a commentator and uh, 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 for Ron Fuller and we did a couple things. We did a lot of theatrics um, on the show, but I mean the, the, they were done with. We had Ronnie Garvin, we had Bob Orton Jr. and 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 um, Boris Malenko, the great Malenko, and all three of those guys were uh, the best. Uh, Craftsmen, they were actually artisans in the ring. They could work with uh, anything. In my day, the the uh, epitome of a compliment was a guy could work with a broomstick, or the girl could work with a broomstick and uh, have a match. And vaudeville uh, people do that uh, on stage. They would use a prop like a hat or a chair or something, and you know, create almost create a character tripping over it and doing things, and so um, they were sight comedians. Well, we weren't trying to be comedians, but uh, we could work with. You know, if you were a good worker, you could work with anybody. I mean, the worst talent in the world to the best, and uh, so uh, I did I hear that yeah. noise again? It's I don't know what that noise is either. I think it's I think it's the weather. I mean you're fine. I can hear you, Granny. Can you hear him? Yes, I can. I can hear him just fine. Okay, good. Well, I, I'll ignore the I'll ignore the if I hear that one sound, I'll ignore it until you all tell me. If you if, let's work it this way, if you can't hear me, uh, let me know and I'll I'll hang up and try again. Maybe it's somehow the connection. I don't know. I'm not very. Uh, I'm not very digitally uh, educated. I have a lot of book learning, but um, well, anyway, back to us. Uh, we did a couple things. One, one we did was uh, uh, we did a, a fake match on TV. And what I mean by that is, Junior and I worked a match where we made it obvious that we were uh, we worked at about half the normal speed. And when we like run into each other, well, I'd say I'd slam him. I'd pick him up to slam him, but instead of actually slamming him, I almost lay him down on the mat, uh, you know, on the on the mat surface, so I wouldn't be hurting anything. And Les just hated that. I mean, I was watching his face because the camera wasn't on him. I was watching his face during the match, and uh, uh, he just had he had the he had this horrible look on his face, like, oh my God. We're exposing the business, and I tried to explain to him that by doing it that way, it would make uh, the normal action and the normal way of doing things appear to be a lot more legitimate. And and uh, but he didn't see it that way. He he thought that we were like exposing the business. And the reason we did it, uh, Bobby Orton uh, had, was in a, uh, a, a conflict with. Uh, with Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie was the baby face and, and Bobby and I were tag team heels and single heels. And uh, Bobby uh, had uh, made a bet with Ronnie and uh, uh, Bobby had long curly hair and Ronnie had brought out a, a, a like an aviator's cap, one of those uh, close fitting uh, pilot's ca- uh, caps that buttoned under the chin like Amelia Earhart used to wear. And what he'd done is he'd, uh, 
we had, we'd put it together. It, it had mop strings hanging out of it. So it looked like a mop <laughs> actually literally a mop head. I mean, it's like a, like a hundred or so of them. And they were about, about a foot and a half long. And so Bobby had to wear this uh, in the ring every time he wrestled until he won a match on TV. And so we went about three or four weeks. So he every show he had to wear that thing, and it was embarrassing. You know, he looked like a goof. And uh, it also was it was a, it was a it was a symbol that Garvin had not smarted us. And you know, he we had a brain trust. Uh, Malenko, myself, and Bobby, and uh, we're trying to you know like Ronnie was on his own, and three of us were trying to bring him down. So. Uh, the, he was winning. Obviously, as long as Bobby was wearing that that uh, goofy mop, he called it mop head. Uh, as long as he was wearing that goofy uh, hat uh, thing, uh, Ronnie was, uh, you know, ahead on points. At least it appeared to be that way. So we had done two or three weeks of TV, and uh, uh, one way or another, uh, uh, we. Uh, Ronnie managed to outsmart us, and Bobby would get beat. Uh, I wrestled him one time with a mask, and uh, everybody knew it was me. I was his partner. So I'm wrestling him with a mask, and I'm just basically going to lay down for him, and the referee referee refused to count. So I just left. I mean, when the referee was went over and was telling Thatcher, I'm not counting it because it was, it was obvious that I was uh, – I was just – Know, lay it down for Bobby, for my partner, and so the, I mean again, I had a mask on, you know, but I had my own boots on. I had Bob Brooks' boots on, so it's pretty obvious. And uh, so the referee uh, went over to tell Thatcher that he wasn't going to count. I kept yelling, I kept yelling, "Come on, get down here and count me down!" And he wouldn't do it. So um, I I just stood the ring and left, and that way the referee was going to have to count me out. I mean, I left and walked back to the like the dressing room. The referee turned around, and Bobby was there by himself. He had to count me out. And that way, Bobby would win the match and get his hand raised. Well, while he was over counting, Ronnie slipped in from the other side, and he had the mask on. We had established that there were two masks, because when they said it was me under the mask, we needed to have somebody else that would be able to have a mask come out. So we had a couple of them established. So Ronnie came out with the with the mask on and slid in the ring, and Bobby was standing right behind the referee, uh, preening, and he had taken his mop head off thing off, and he was waving it like he the end referee was counting, like he was going to count me out. And Ronnie slipped in behind Bobby, ran him in the ropes, and rolled him up. Referee turned around, saw the guy with saw the guy with a mask, same mask I had. Had Bobby rolled up, got down and counted him out. We counted Bobby down, one, two, three. Ronnie slid out of there and took off. Uh, when and the referee had turned to uh, to announce to, to the bell bringer, like to ring the bell. And as, Bob, as Ronnie took off, I ran back. And I, I just, so the referee turns around. Now I'm there in the mask, and Ronnie's gone. And the referee was acting like he didn't know the difference. And I'm yelling, no, no, it wasn't me. And, and uh, he he was trying to trying to raise my hand, and I was I was refusing to let him raise my hand. We were doing stuff like that. Well, we had a little audience there in that TV studio of about 25 people, 
and they were people who had been coming for years, and, and they were had seen everything. We were doing this stuff, and the reaction to these matches, they absolutely turned backflips. They were so thrilled that just so, because it was a surprise. They didn't know what was going to happen. They couldn't call it. And so we'd do these things, and they would just go ape. And I knew, we knew, we all knew that that would uh, extrapolate, that would, that would transpose, that same feeling would be transposed to a home audience watching it on TV, and they would come down to the arena and, and, and pay money to come see us wrestle. So we were thrilled with that, and, and, but less hated it. Now, this is not a, this is not a, this is not a story to, like, to make less, uh, like, uh, make, make uh, uh, like he was having a good time. He wasn't. He, he hated it. But he went. He did his job, and he, uh, you know, he called things the way they, the, you know, he called the way things the way they they were. And uh, but I, I still remember I watched his face. He looked like he, he you know, eating a, uh, taking a bite out of a, uh, a rotten apple, and, and saw half half a worm looking at him. Uh, obviously, the other half would have been in his mouth by that time. He had that kind of look on his face, and. I, uh, you know, Russell, but you know what? That's a that's a tribute to him in a sense that he was a purist. He was an old school. He'd been in the business before, long before me, and he was an old school. And you know, you protected the business at all costs. And he felt like we were uh, we were uh, uh, harming it, I guess. And you know, the the thing is, you could say, well, look at your box office receipts. That will tell you if uh, you're harming your your profession, if people stop coming. And the counter-argument to that is, yeah, well, they might be coming now, but you're hot-shotting. And by hot-shotting, uh, you know, you're doing such extreme stuff, everything. you got a chain match, a cage match, and a wrestling bear, and Andre the Giant, and Mids, it's all on the same card. Um, you know, you're hot-shotting. Uh, because maybe you know you—that's what you have to do to draw any, to draw a crowd, and you can't do that long. If you do, you kill your ter- you kill your own business if you do that. Because how do you follow it? Uh, you have to you have to uh, uh, you know you have to have these soap soap opera type uh, personal issues going. Um, and you, I mean, if you think those are effective. Uh, when I had some free time, uh, I got hurt once and took six weeks off, and I started watching uh, uh, one of the soap operas, Luke and Laura, with uh, uh, General Hospital, I think was the name of it, with, with my girlfriend, who later became my wife. I'm sorry? I think that was a little feedback because, it, you know, sometimes Blog Talk has – it has gremlins, as Granny likes to say, technical issues and stuff. And sometimes the feedback from when you're talking will echo just a little bit. You're fine, though. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, anyway, what <laughs> I was going to say was watching those, those soap operas, I got hooked with, uh, within a week. I want to know what was going to happen tomorrow on uh, General Hospital. I mean, I'm an educated man. I had a college degree then, and... Uh, you know, but I was hooked. So I felt that wrestling fans could get hooked on a, uh, when you have a personal angle, a personal uh, issue between people, 
if you if you delineate it right, if you make make it real, sometimes you have to make it real simple. But uh, if you make it to make it clear, not that people are simple, but you, if you try to be too sophisticated, you know, not maybe not everybody's going to get it. You want to go to the least common denominator and make sure everybody in your audience gets what you're trying to do, gets the message. And um, anyway, we were selling out everywhere we went and for an extended period of time. I'm talking about months, not just in the summertime when kids are out of school, but years round. We were selling out everywhere we went. And uh, so, you know, I, uh, there's, that's, that's what tells you if you're being successful. How's your business? And uh, you can't hot shot for six months. You just can't. I mean, there's only one Andre the Giant, and, you know, there's only so many midgets and girls, and, you know, what do you do? Uh, set somebody on fire or, you know, I mean, you, you can't, uh, you can only go so far. And then what, what? Okay, maybe I should shut up and let you ask a question. No, you're fine. Um, you said that if you, like, you hot shot a, uh, you know, your business, meaning, like, you try different gimmicks, different angles, you know, different soap opera things. And I know we spoke over the phone briefly. We said you didn't keep up with the, the modern product. And, man, I understand because if you've been in, not entirely, perspective but my question to you is like what was it like being around all these guys before they became big like Hogan and Andre the Giant what was it like sharing the same locker room with them what was it like you know just seeing these guys starting out the guys that were True professionals, uh, it didn't make any difference. Uh, the guy that you saw the first time was the was the same guy that you saw ten years later. You know, Andre was you liked him. Um, we we use a term now for Mark. Uh, Mark was considered uh, it was a term used when I broke into business. To describe wrestling fans, and I always, I always told people, don't use that word around me, because uh, an easy mark is someone who's a chump, and uh, came from the carny, and um, it, it, they were talking about people who would, guys, for example, who were in love with their girlfriend, and they were at the fair together, and the guy would spend fifteen dollars, like tossing dimes, trying to get him to stay on a plate, or trying to knock over. Uh, uh, with, with softballs trying to knock over milk uh, milk jars that are welded to the to the you know to the thing they're sitting on, and would spend fifteen dollars to one or two dollar teddy bear for his girlfriend, and they would consider those guys marks, which to me meant foolish and financially certainly foolish, and I said, well, I don't consider our fans foolish, because uh, first of all they're paying our bills. And second of all, if we don't give them uh, their money's worth, they quit coming. Uh, they're not coming back. If you give them, you screw them around on a show. Uh, Shire's, I had other, I've worked for promoters that Roy Shire used to false book people. He would claim that Ray Patterson, uh, Ray Stevens was going to be on the card like a semifinal. It wouldn't be the main event. Semifinal. 
and wouldn't even book him. And then the night of the show, he'd say, well, his plane did, he couldn't take off, and so substitute. Well, you kill your town when you do that. You like going to the movie, and, you know, you're supposed to be uh, uh, Elvis in it, and instead it's, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, Alice Cooper. Uh, uh, so... Uh, I, didn't, I didn't consider wrestling fan marks. The way that Mark is used today is circular way back to what you first asked me. A guy that believes mm-hmm. his own publicity in the wrestling business, we consider the, the guys that are pros. Like you're going to act like, okay, in public, it's fine. But if you get around and you get to the dressing room and act like you're a big star, all the guys who made you that star, that position, now you're acting like you're better than they are, well, people, guys don't understand it because they just realize that person's an idiot. They believe their own publicity. Uh, Guys, there are enough guys around in dressing room to do what. So uh, Andre was never was never supercilious or egotistical. Uh, Hogan, he oh I I didn't I didn't interact with him much, but before he got started, and once he became a wrestler. Uh, I don't know. I I think I understand the dynamics of that. Uh, some people, once they become successful, they don't want to be found anybody who reminds of the, them of when they weren't, or that maybe that person's going to talking down to them or something because hey, uh, you might be big Hulk Hogan now, but I remember you when you were Terry Bollet and. You were playing a uh, uh, bass guitar in a band on those uh, six-inch uh, wedgies or whatever they were called back in the hippie days, and uh, half the people in the audience thought you were gay. And I mean, not there's anything wrong with that, but um, he was a guy six foot seven or whatever, and his, his shoes on. He was about uh, seven foot three, and uh, playing bass guitar and hair down to his waist. I mean, he looked good. He was a musician. So, uh, years later, and now he's a pro wrestler. Talk to me. Well, talk to him either. That attitude. That's him. Hey, um... Danny, do you have any questions for Mr. Root? Well, I I just enjoyed listening to him. I mean, I tell you, I, I, I now mind you, Bob, I am not a wrestler. Just because I have my gimmick name, I, I was given that gimmick name, Granny Hulkster, because I love wrestling. I am a huge fan. I mean, I love the sport. I have a lot of friends in this business. I mean, I just, I, and I love giving the heels lots and lots of grief. I can talk some pretty good smack to the heels. And I good. can be I a love, cowboy boss. 
Cowboy Bob Orton, I saw, I've seen him, met him many times, and I was at a wrestling show uh, mid-states in Harrison, Arkansas, and I was booing him, and he, all of a sudden, he just stops in the middle of the match, and he puts his hands on his hips, and he says, Granny, I thought we were friends. I said, we are. He says, well, then why are you booing me? I said, because I don't like you right now, because you're the bad guy. I said, you're mean. You're being mean. But I tell you, I, I, Bob Orton is absolutely phenomenal, and I would, and I had the opportunity. I was very blessed to be able to sit in on a train, couple training seminars with Trevor Murdoch. And the first time, I, I mean, one of the first times that I met Trevor, he was like doing the seminar with these guys, and he said, "Okay," he says, "Now he says, then you have those people like that God-fearing, loving woman over there, Granny Holster, you know." And he was telling the guys how to work the show, how to work the crowd. And then he said, and then you have those smart marks, and he kind of pointed to me. I thought Tim Rockwell, the promoter of the Federation, was going to fall off the ring rope laughing. I said, Trevor, I don't know everything. And he's, darling, you know more than most. But one time, and this was pretty re- this was pretty recent, he was doing a training seminar, and he was talking about how to work the crowd. He says, go to Granny. Make her your goal. Make her mad. Piss her off. And I'm thinking, okay, thanks, Trevor. As if I don't give it enough grief from the bad guys anyways, now you're telling them to come over and, and piss me off? <laughs> I mean, I, and, and I had the opportunity to meet Ron Simmons and Tony Atlas not too long ago. And I take this as a very good compliment. But Ron Simmons told me, he says, Granny, he says, you are that true fan, what we used to see back in the day. He says, we don't see that anymore. But he says, you are that true fan that we used to have, you know, come to the shows, I mean, all the time. I mean, I, I've been to one WWE show in my life. I mean, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, about four years ago, I went with my husband and my son. I go to a lot of independent shows. And I've met people like Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Rock and Roll Express, AJ Styles, Cowboy Bob Orton. I mean, the list goes on. You know, Tommy Dreamer. I mean, I, I love it, you know. And I love doing what I do. I love making it fun for the other fans of the show. So, I mean, pretty well, much my questions have been asked. But I, I guess you could call me that super fan. I, I, I don't know. You know, I'm very humble. By with what Ron Simmons said to me, he says, you are that true fan that we used to see, you know, a long time ago. Well, yeah, you, and he's exactly right. Uh, what happens is that uh, in Miami, Miami uh, is a very cosmopolitan city, and the wrestling fans in Miami, there were fans down there who had reserved seats. They had been coming so long that they had ringside seats. And uh, I would, uh, after I'd worked down there for, I think I had a three-year run in there as a heel. Barry Rhodes was telling me, Barry's a, a historian, told me that was one of the longest, you know, and I, this isn't a brag, but he told me that and it is pretty unusual to be able to stay on top as a heel that long uh, in a territory that only runs one town a night. If you're in Charlotte, where there's three different towns a night, you can stay there forever. But 
uh, in places like Florida, which was down at night, able to stay on top for three years as a heel is very difficult. And uh, but what happened in Miami was that uh, the fans to appreciate. I was. I mean, I had some serious. I had guns pointed at me, and oh, there were cops around all the time. Uh, sometimes Bobby and I had such heat that uh, uh, we would have the cops who have dogs. Uh, they would bring dogs in with them, those big German shepherds, to uh, keep the crowd at bay. And uh, but you know, on the way in, uh, one time to go into the building, we had a parking place where we parked our cars, and there was always a cop, a police officer out there. To watch their cars, but the fans would be at the area. It might be in the hallway of the building, or, or so you know. But I see them on the way in, and a lot of them, a lot of these old timers, they say, "Hey, Bob, I'm gonna get your butt kicked today," and all that. But they would be semi-friendly, you know. I mean, they wouldn't be just say hey, you're a jerk and all that. They would be so. Well, I've never gotten myself in trouble at a wrestling show. I know my limitations, but I talk some pretty good smack to the heels when I need to. I've been I've been told on numerous occasions I help make the show. So that you know that is very humbling to me. I know Brain knows her limitations. However, Tommy Dreamer used my cane on Matt Riviera one time at the last TCW show that they ran in Fort Smith, <laughs> Arkansas. He he used my cane during the match on, on Matt Riviera, so. Oh, my God, you're a lady in the audience with a cane? Yeah, well, see, I hadn't had my first knee replacement yet. I've had both of my knees replaced. I'm 56 okay. years old. This was before I oh, had my first old. knee replacement, so I was having to walk with a cane, and it was one of those fold-up ones. Well, Tommy just grabbed it out of my hand, and Brian Thompson, he's like, he was commentating for for TCW. He's like, the one commentator says, oh, my God, he's got Granny Holster's cane. And Brian says, Granny, what do you think you're doing? This isn't fans. Bring your own weapons match. And Tommy just took it out of my hand. It wasn't like I handed it to him. He just took it out of my hand, you know, so. Well. Uh, I had I had ladies in Scotland. I had ladies press on the ring with their canes to trust the hell out of me. So, you know, when there's well, half a I, dozen of them, you're dangerous. I never hit a wrestler with my cane. Now, I can't say for Tommy Dreamer, but I cannot. I've never used my cane on a wrestler, so. <laughs> Good for you, Jerry. Uh, yeah, the, the heels would always be looking to see because you know if you weren't careful, you were looking the wrong way. You'd nobody would get whacked. You know, old, old lady or an older. You're not old yet, but uh, yeah. they might be in their. Oh, well, thank you for that. Thank you for that. But I've never, I've never hit anybody. Now, B Train, he has seen Granny in action at independent shows. He knows how I can talk smack to the heels. You know, I mean, I got handcuffed to a manager at Wrestling for a Cause last year in January during the match. They handcuffed me to this manager because the manager was interfering, and so they handcuffed me to the manager. Oh, you're part of the show. Did you get a 
Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, I help with wrestling for a cause. Uh, it's an organization that they do shows for kids that have got cancer over in Oklahoma. And we were in Tulsa what? doing a show. And uh, I actually, they actually handcuffed me to Richard Pierce during the match, you know. So, that was a lot of fun. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, well, you were part of the show. That must have been a lot of fun, you know. Uh, well, they it's hard pretty to much get, get granny, they get Granny involved as much as possible, you know, as much as I, you know, as much as I can do. I mean, I do, I do a lot of things to help them out, but it was fun. Well, now that you're on the on the airways, you're a, you're a star yourself, Granny. Well, I've, I, you know, I'm I'm pretty famous because when I when I uh, went and met. Um, Ron Simmons and Tony Atlas, there was a female wrestler by the name of Scarlett that wrestled up in the state of Kansas for a long time. She says, oh, my gosh, when she saw my shirt, she says, oh, my gosh, I know who you are. You are so famous in Kansas. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm just a fan. I'm not anybody important here, you know. But anybody wow. in wrestling that has seen me, that has seen Granny, I mean, I've – TCW, they taped their episodes, so I'm a lot on a lot of those episodes that they still show the old reruns down in the Little Rock area. I don't get to see them anymore, but um, yeah, I was part of a lot of TV tapings for TCW when it ran in Arkansas. Well, Granny, let me ask you a question. Who who is more wrestlers of the? I'm sorry. What was that? Who do you think is more important, wrestlers or the fans? I'll, I'll, I know it's a hard question. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it for you. The fans are more important than the wrestlers. Uh, well, yeah, they are because a, a fan can either make or break a wrestling show. Yeah, if you don't have any, you don't have a show. That's right. Uh, I We had a show one time where they... The publicity didn't get out. It was Ronnie, Bobby, Wharton, Ronnie Garvin, Malenko, myself. A great part. Yeah, oh, there was. There was. So, um,. Uh, the audience, is, the fans are more important than the wrestlers. Oh, yeah. Well, I was at a show, at an independent show over in Jay, Oklahoma one time for a federation called UWE. And there was maybe like 25 people at that show. And I heard one of the wrestlers in the back say, well, we don't have a lot of people here, but it's going to be a good show because Granny's in the house. <laughs> nice to hear. I'm, I'm happy that you know people should should get uh, joy and feedback. You know, you should feel good about being connected uh, with pro wrestling. I'm glad it works out for you because um, you know it, it's not to rip people off. It's meant to uh, make people feel bad, meant to entertain, and 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 you know people excited about going and I'm glad I'm well, glad you're part of it. I had, 
I was at a wrestling show one time where Angel Medina was there, and he was picking on this little old lady, and I stood up, and once again, I had my cane, because like I said, that was before I had my first knee surgery, and I said, Angel, I said, why don't you leave that sweet little lady alone, and why don't you come pick on somebody your own size? Why don't you come pick on me? And he came over and grabbed my cane, and we did a little tug of war with my cane, which was a lot of fun. I mean, and I've had wrestlers come up to me and say, Granny, don't you have a curfew at the nursing home? And I told <laughs> that one that one, I grabbed my keys out of my purse. I said, Baby, I don't need no curfew. I got keys to the building. And he didn't know what to say. I mean, I guard with that statement, he was like, he didn't know what to say. He just was absolutely speechless. Uh, how was Ron Summers, by the way? He was good. I mean, you know, he he was he was doing really really well, and I was amazed at Tony Atlas. Oh my gosh, seventy five years old, and that. That man, his arms were still as huge as they were back in his younger days. I mean, my goodness, and he that laugh of his, he still has that oh, oh, laugh. I mean, it was so funny. The first thing he came into when um, he came in and he shook my husband's hand, the first thing he said to my husband, he says, you know, I saw these little green people out in the lobby, and you know what they are? They're Martians. And they take you on your, your spa- their spaceship, and you can't come back until the cow jumps over the moon. That was the first thing he said to my husband, and I don't know where that came, even came from, but that was the first thing Tony Atlas said to my husband. But Ron Simmons, he, he's doing very well. I mean, he was, he was really a nice guy. I mean, they were both really, really nice. I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity to get to meet both of them. Yeah, Ron's a, Ron's a class act. I haven't seen him in but he was uh, uh, he was breaking in when I was there and been a all American football player at Florida State and I got to help train mm-hmm. him. He was just a, he was a, for all his uh, accomplishments, he was humble, uh, ready to learn. You know, he realized he didn't know anything about. Wasn't saying, hey, I'm a big all American football. But I don't have any, I, I don't really have any other questions. I mean, because like I said, you pretty much asked, you know, B Train what I wanted to know, but I, I, I just enjoyed listening to the stories. I mean, he, this, he's really. A very awesome person. I mean, he he's amazing, and I I'm just glad I had the opportunity to be with with you today and help you with this interview. Well, thank you very much. And you know, you you just listen to stories, but that's what makes um, it, that's for some for some vets or for some guys, retired guys. I was out of the business for so long with very little contact. For 15 years, I was Mr. Mom for my kids, and uh, not that I was uh, I, by choice. It wasn't that I missed it or I, I was exiled. It's just by choice. Now that my kids are grown, I'm back into it and more active. But um, 
you know, it's nice to be able to tell our stories. It keeps us... All those... Uh, away from home, away from uh, his birthdays and all that sort of thing. It, uh, being able to tell these stories is kind of a way of delayed payment. Oh, we talk to you. Well, I very much enjoyed um, being a part of this interview today. Well, so have I. And I'm not sure what your time constraints are. Are we, uh, are we still talking? Or are we on the air? Or, uh, yeah, I sometimes we're still I get... on the air. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I agree with you. We might have talked about the other day, B-Train, that about the business being different today in terms of the way the guys are trained and 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 the way that they're the the you know the the way that the matches are staged the way that they they I don't mean staged in the terms of being on tour it's just the way that they're <laughs> and from our era but I you know any criticism or fault finding with that should go to the whoever's promoting it. Uh, not to the wrestlers themselves, so or the boys. Uh, they have no choice. Want to work in the profession? Uh, they have to. Uh, they have to adhere to whatever that profession is at the time that they're trying to get into it. So they have to become good at being whatever it takes today to be successful at pro wrestling. And my hats off to them. You know they're. They're uh, they're doing it differently than we did, and a lot of the old timers are blaming the guys. And I say, if you don't like it, talk about talk to the promoters. Don't talk don't talk about to the boys because if they don't do it that way, they're not going to get work. So it's not their fault. It's it's uh it's logical. If we were break, if I was breaking in today, or say one of my sons were, were then uh, or was then. Uh, we will be doing that same that same style also. In fact, there's a there's a it happens now. I saw uh, I think I'm not sure if it's a heart, but at, at uh, uh, Waterloo Music Hall of Fame this past year, uh, the Hart family was down there, or, or a number of them, because uh, uh, they were doing a tribute to Owen Hart. I think he was being inducted in the hall, you know, posthumously and. Um, so the, they did a presentation of an hour or so with, uh, I don't know, half a dozen of the hearts. And there was a one of them, I'm not sure if it's a heart or if it's a, uh, someone who's married to a heart uh, female, a daughter of Stu Hart or a granddaughter. Uh, but it's a guy that's working in the business today, uh, big tall guy, nice looking guy, I can't remember his name. And that, I don't mean to disparage him, he could be a big star. I don't know. I, I I don't watch at all, and it's not that I'm avoiding it. I don't watch, watch much TV. So, uh, uh, but a nice looking guy. He was very pleasant. He's respectful. Very nice. It was a pleasure to meet him. But here here you are with the Hearts, like Bruce Bruce Hart, and uh, uh, the family talking about they wish wrestling was uh, 
uh, you know, back in the day, like with where it looked more legitimate. You had real, you know, you told a story out there. You got did mat wrestling, and you made it look so much more, uh, you know, legitimate. And yet they have a, a member in their own family, even if it's an in-law, that is working in the business today and doing exactly the opposite of that. So that's the, you know, that's the way it is. And that doesn't mean that they they love the guy. So uh, that doesn't mean that they say, well, we don't like the business. But they're obviously not blaming that guy, the, 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 the family member. And that's the way I think we all should do it all. So don't blame the guys. Blame the promotion. If you have, I mean, if you if you have to lay blame, things go in cycles, and this business probably will be too. Uh, it probably will do the same thing. It's done it before. Uh, there's been times when the gorgeous George era, uh, you know, before I don't know a generation or two before mine, uh, you know, everybody all of a sudden became very flamboyant. There had been no bleach blonde guys with guys with bleach blonde hair. And George took it to the extreme with the bobby pins, and you know he was uh, sort of uh, half, uh, you know, acting kind of fay and feminine uh, with the valet and all that, and the, the golden bobby pins and all that. Well, you know, success breeds imitation, and uh, all of a sudden you had a lot of guys bleaching their hair, and then Buddy Rogers came along. Buddy started doing high spots where. Uh, instead of guys just grabbing a hold and laying in the middle of the ring and working their way around the ropes, uh, he was doing a lot of running. And because Buddy looked great, he had a great body. He was always tan, handsome man, good guy, and he wanted to stay on his feet and show off his physicality, his good looks, and his athletic build. And the, to be a showman, that was what he should have done: was to be on his feet as much as possible, rather than be down on the mat and you know laying in a hold. Where maybe somebody's got his even got his head covered, like in a headlock or a front face lock, where you can't even see him. So he he worked out a style where he did a lot of wrestling on his feet, and they'd hit in order to keep it from being boring. They'd be they'd be doing high spots where they're hitting the ropes and you know arm drags and backdrops and you know hip throws and all drop kicks, all the things that well it was a whole new era. And pretty soon you had guys imitating his style. Because it was it worked, people. A buddy became a big star doing it, so you had imitators. Then once that, once it got to a point where that was overkill, where you know, two there was everybody was kind of the same. Then they started. They, they had to go back to grabbing a hold again, and having matches that looked more realistic, and uh, you know had some, uh, you know had a harder edge to them, less show and more go. So the business goes in cycle. And, and there's not to say that the way it is today uh, is going the way it's always going to be. I mean, it might get even more theatric. I don't know. I don't know where it's going. But um, I know that, in, in like in Japan, Japan might have four or five different promotions, three of them with television. And three of them, two or three of them might be one way, and two, two others might be completely the other way. Uh, some of those promotions not over there without TV they do stuff that's ungodly, barbed wire matches and fire and rings set on fire and uh, the match starts and they set the apron of the ring on fire and, you know, nobody can, you know, get out of there and nobody can escape. And, uh, you know, I mean, they do some pretty extreme stuff. 
but um, that's the same in the same country, and uh, uh, you have the, all these variations of how pro wrestling is presented in a much smaller country, the United States. So um, there's no there's no telling that won't that won't evolve to that situation in this country. And I'm not saying that that's desirable or anything else. I'm just saying that it might happen. And for some of the purists uh, uh, who say, well, I'd like to see, like the Hearts, for example, who say, I'd like to see some some stuff that at least looks like legitimate wrestling uh, interjected into a match instead of it being all uh, show and no go. And, um, you know, I don't have a problem with that, but whatever works. If they're doing, if, you know, the WWE is tremendously successful. And, uh, you know, you can't argue with success. People want to knock the Jerry Springer show. Well, it's been on the air for 20-some years. You, you know, you can't knock the success. It draws, it draws people's, you know, some of the reality TV. I mean, they did shows where people were eating cockroaches and being buried with, uh, you know, slimy worms on top of them and, and you know, all this reality stuff to draw, draw an audience. And it was successful because people watched it. So whatever money talks and whatever will draw that money or create that money will probably be used. Uh, the one good thing about reality TV, uh, I mean, I'm not saying there are not a lot of good things, but one of those good things is that some of that stuff uh, elevates wrestling uh, oh, uh, several uh, levels, almost exponentially, uh, in terms of the degree of class and, um, you know, it used to be considered like, oh, as burlesque or almost the uh, same level of circus clowns. Not to, to disparage circus clowns. A great circus clown is, is a great performer. But pro wrestling is not supposed to be the circus. You know, you're, you're not trying to be circus clowns. So if you're likened to that, you know, you're not being successful. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you're not going to be able to, to draw. You're going to limit your audience. You want to be able to draw from a wide, you know, a wide cross-section of people out there who see whatever you're doing on TV. You don't want just diehards. You don't want just clown fans. Uh, you want, you know, in order to fill your buildings, and, and also now, you're, you know, order your merchandising because they fall in love with John Cena or whoever it might be. Uh, you want, and that's where even bigger money is. Uh, you want to have, a, you want to attract as many people as you can, and you don't want to deal with just one segment of society. You want to deal with lower middle class, and that's not. We're talking socioeconomic. It has to do with the amount of money people make. Uh, when you talk about classes, it has nothing to do. I mean, you're not going to tell me that drug dealers who are billionaires are classy people, or people who work in the cigarette industry and I make six figures uh, a year uh, selling cigarettes are classy people or moral people. You're not going to tell me that. But socioeconomically, they are upper class. Um, it has, just has to do with the amount of money they make. Um, so you don't want to you don't want to just draw from one segment you know, one socioeconomic section of the of the entire spectrum. You want to be able to draw from every place. And they did a deal in, in Fort uh, St. Pete one time. Um, it was uh, some special deal. I can't remember what they called it, but um, 
ringside was normally going, I think, $8, maybe 10 They get 20 They called the ringside area Golden Circle. They actually had a, one of those the ropes, like a golden rope with stanchions around, I don't know, the first four or five rows. And they called it the Golden Circle. It charged 25 bucks. I'm talking about uh, the 80s, maybe even 70s. No, it was the 70s. And they had Jack Briscoe and Dory on top, uh, Dory Funk on top, and oh, I have the Sheik, uh, the Sheik from Michigan. The original Sheik was on the card, and Mr. Wrestling Tim Woods was on the card, and uh, Johnny Valentine. I mean, they had a big card. Uh, I worked against Johnny Valentine. <laughs> Funny match, but um, uh, $25 ringside. I think 15 for uh, the middle range, and I think $10, which was the original ringside, uh, was for the cheap seats. And they sold out. Um, but what they did, and, and here's what here's the deal: some of the people that sat in the golden circles were, were dressed. They wore they wore uh, uh, evening clothes, maybe not a tuxedo, but uh, somewhat like you could be going out to a, an art show or uh, uh, you know a fashionable party. Women in nice dresses. So what they did is they tra- they attracted because they raised the prices. They attracted a, a level of clientele that they normally didn't get, and the people said, "Well, they're charging twenty-five dollars for this. It must be something, you know. We're, we're not going to. Uh, we're rich. We're not going to something that only charges eight dollars to see for twenty-five dollars. Now that sounds like it might be worth seeing, and that's the way. A lot of times, that's the way people of affluence think uh, that they associate with the, the value of something with how much it costs." But it worked. I mean, a lot of people sitting in those ringside seats were people who normally didn't come to the matches. So that's just one small section of pie of, of the whole thing when I'm talking about trying to you know, attract a, an audience from the whole spectrum of the society that you're, you're, you know, your television is out there available for people to see. If it's not pay-per-view, you want to have them watch it. And, uh, and it's just smart business. So whatever, I'm going to full circle, but I come back around. The business is going to evolve into whatever gets those people to uh, to spend money to, however, whether it be through merchandising, pay-per-views, uh, who knows? Maybe you'll be able to go to the wrestling matches in your own home uh, and see uh, every night through some sort of special. Uh, yearly fee or whatever that that uh, you don't even have to go to the arenas anymore. Uh, we don't know that. I mean, our society's progressing so fast and in good ways. I mean, uh, some not so good, but good ways too. Um, I just found out. This is not to make you feel bad for me. 